This is Nick Umbrellaro, host of Tiger Talk, a student media podcast based on news for the LSU and Baton Rouge area. It has been almost a semester here. I've been trying to get McKay Swear on to talk softball with me. And now, coming in the fall, she's going to be deputy sports editor. How are you doing today, McKay? I'm great. I'm excited to finally be here. I feel like we've been talking about me coming here to talk about LSU softball for, like you said, like feels like months now. Yeah. I mean, we were both on the softball beat, so we, behind the scenes, talked so much about it. Mm-hmm. And now we finally get to record it and put it out there. So... Let's start things right off. Uh, this past weekend, LSU traveled to Georgia. They took two of three games from the Bulldogs, going eight and one, or winning eight one in the first game, losing sixteen and nine in the second, and then a extra innings come from behind win, nine five in eight innings to finish it out. Uh, McKay, did you see anything good from the Tigers during that series? You know, I think defensively, this was one of our better weekends. We were slow, I think, in a couple of um, innings to get things started. Especially, I mean, Georgia is a great team. Georgia always has a great team. They always um, score a lot. You know, they're a very high-scoring team, and that's not uncommon for them. So going into this weekend, I knew that in order for LSU to, you know, pull out on the other side winning and succeeding, they really had to be on at the plate. And I think that's really what we saw from them this weekend. They were all really high-scoring games, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, outside of one horrendous inning in game two where – uh, LSU pitchers gave up 12 runs in the bottom of the first inning. I mean, it was a really solid pitching performance, and a lot of that can come on the shoulders of Ali Coponen. She started in game one and game three, uh, pitching both complete games, and outside of one bad inning where she gave up five runs on two home runs and an extra little hit there, uh, she was fantastic. You know, take that away, 14 innings of work and only t- one earned run against, like you said, the Georgia Bulldogs, who are ranked number 13 in the nation and have tons of bats up and down their lineup. So Kilbonen was doing really well, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think she's doing a great job. She's a junior, so she is considered one of the upperclassmen on the team, which is very hard to find on LSU's roster right now. But she's done a great job so far in the season. I think she took a hard blow whenever um, Shelby Sincere got hurt in the Bama series. So she's really had to kind of step up um, in the past. And even before Shelby got hurt, you saw a lot of – Ali Coponen going in and she would do a good job but you know she'd kind of get in some kind of rut a little bit of a hole and then Sinceri would have to come in and pull her out so she's really had to step up when Sinceri got hurt and then Sinceri's still kind of recovering now so a lot of that weight is on her and I think she's doing a great job of holding that place yeah currently she's at 41 percent of the pitch share uh, between her and the three other pitchers that are uh, accommodating for most of those innings so she is getting a lot of work in the circle you know she's had a a a bevy of complete games she had one no hitter five inning no hitter earlier in the season in one of those midweek games but like you said she's being relied along relied upon a lot during this whole year I know one thing that we talked about early in the season was like maybe getting some other pitchers in to work uh, just so maybe her and Shelby Sincero wasn't getting so much work in the beginning of the season but you know with some struggles some of the other pitchers have had you have seen some more innings from Raylan Chaffin, the freshman, and also Shelby Wickersham. Chaffin, I think, is doing an incredible job. I mean, she's only a freshman, and she pitched a nearly complete series against Alabama. And that was also the weekend, of course, like I just said, that Shelby got hurt all suddenly. And, you know, people kind of had to move around and adjust really quickly. 
And, I mean, she's a freshman, and she's stepping into the circle against Alabama. And, you know, we all know Alabama, especially in the softball world. They always have a great program. Um, so she's basically Montana Fouts' counterpart, you know, in that game, which is huge for her. And that was a huge weekend for her. Um, I think she's grown a lot even just that since that series. You know, her, her season's kind of gone up and down, and she admits that in post games um, whenever she does pitch, and you do see her after the Bama series. Um, she'll admit that she's kind of had her highs and lows. But, um, you know, she always really does a good job, and she always works really hard to get where the team needs her to be, and I think that's a great quality to have. Yeah. I mean, like you said, she's stepped up in a lot of these situations. Uh, that fourth pitcher that's kind of rounding out the rotation is Shelby Sinceri, like we talked about. She's usually your day two starter. Uh, and she did start game two, which, you know, we talked about that 12-run first inning um, where the Tigers actually had four pitchers in the circle <laughs> trying to get those three outs. Uh, she's kind of struggled. I know her taking that pitch to the face in the Alabama series, it kind of, you know, messed things up. You don't feel as comfortable at the plate. You don't feel as comfortable in the circle from results like that, missing games. I mean, her batting is still, you know, what it was last season and better. You know, she's performing on that level. But pitching-wise, she's kind of struggled as of late. Yeah, I mean, I think that taking a blow to the face like Shelby did, that's going to knock your confidence. It knocks anybody's confidence. I mean, everyone gets hit in the batter's box. It's not an uncommon thing. Um, but to get hit to that extent where it was kind of a freak accident, you know, there's not really anything she could have done to avoid that kind of thing, um, except for maybe, you know, a face mask, face mask on her batting helmet, which at that point she's already in the box. What are you going to do? What's she going to do in that situation? But, you know, a broken right. nose and stitches – why isn't the rest of the team wearing face guards <laughs> right, as right. well? And it's a whole uh, different discussion. But Yeah, but it, it really was a freak accident. I mean, Shelby could have been a little bit earlier, swing her bat around, or a little bit later, and that wouldn't have happened. You know, it was just the perfect scenario. It was a perfect mix of um, a storm that happened. But getting hit in general, it knocks your confidence. And I think because she was hit in the box rather than her hitting the batter, um, you know, she's that person that pitches the ball to people that could possibly hit someone, you know. Um, so I think it's a little bit different of a mentality. I think getting hit in the box as a batter it sh or on the field, it shakes your confidence. Um, and it's kind of just something that you have to get over and not be afraid of. I think it instantly creates fear. But she is the person that sends the ball down, you know, the paint to the box. So she is that person that could possibly, something like that could happen. So, I mean, I, I maybe I'm, you know, just my thoughts. I'm not sure if that's actually how she feels. But if I were her, I would be kind of nervous. You know, I would be kind of scared. Um, she took a big injury. It put her out for a little minute. Um, I know her ERA is is a little bit higher now than it was last season. Um, granted, she's pitched not nearly as much as she did last season. Yeah, just about yet. third lefts. Right. With seven games remaining in the season, mm -hmm. regular season, I should say. So she's not seen as much work there, but at least she's showing up at the plate. And oh, a lot of the sure. top half of the order is really getting things done for the Tigers. I mean, you have Danica Coffey leading off, and she's got a 390 uh, batting average. Taylor Pleasant's coming in with a 324, and then Sierra Briggs with 387. Those are your top three hitters, top of the lineup, all hitting above 350. I was got right. All hitting above 320. Uh, that's stuff that's great. You're seeing them start off games, getting on base, and allowing those you know middle-of-the-order people to knock them in. And especially during this Georgia series, you were seeing that bottom half of their order really coming up to bat. I mean, Morgan Cummins, she hit a two-run home run in the eighth inning to tack on a couple extra runs that led to that win. Fantastic there. Um, Kenzie Reduty, freshman out in right field, she knocked in a couple of really key 
RBIs, and also Sydney Peterson getting her first Tiger home run out at Georgia. Must be fantastic having that feeling, and the bench celebrated her accordingly. Yeah, I think it's so great. Our, our top of the lineup is amazing. I mean, you know, which the whole lineup is. But when you have Coffee and Briggs, who are lefties and they're power slappers, but they're also, I mean, I've seen both athletes hit things to the, field, to the fence. You know, they bounce off the top kind of things. So they make things happen. And I think that the top of the lineup, in order for the rest of the lineup to be successful, nine times out of ten, it has to be super energetic and it has to be able to get things done. And even just in those two of the first, Coffee and Briggs, I mean, they get things done. They get things started. And so it allows for the bottom half of the lineup that, you know, they still do a great job. We have a pretty solid lineup overall. But, um, you know, they don't always see as much of the action. They're not in the headlines as much as, you know, Briggs and, and Pleasance and Georgia Clark. Um, so it allows for Mackenzie Rudity and Sydney Peterson and some of those especially younger girls to really come in and whenever they do have a great moment, they really make a big difference and they make an impact and they ignite even more of that energy in the dugout. You know, it really gets things going and it keeps things going. So it's great that LSU has such a complete lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic that this late in the season we're seeing those underclassmen really step up, kind of building out this roster. I know you alluded to this earlier in the conversation, but there is one senior, fifth-year senior, and that's Shelby Sanceri on this whole entire roster. There's a lot of COVID-year players, but one senior out of that whole lineup. Yeah, so that has definitely been something that Beth Tarina has talked a lot about in post-game um, conferences. There are only two upperclassmen in our lineup in every game, and nine out of 27 on the roster are upperclassmen. I mean, so we are a young team. It's not like we're, oh, yeah, you know, kind of mixed, kind of half and half. You know, no, we are a young team. And obviously that comes with a lack of experience. And so I think that what we're seeing so far in the Tigers season is that, you know, we kind of had a rocky start at the beginning of the season. We had some really high highs, and then we had some really low lows. And I think those low lows came from the majority of our roster and the majority of our lineup being so young. You know, they hadn't been in those – crazy moments on the SEC D1 level. Um, you know, granted, these athletes are amazing, and obviously they're here for a reason. They did, they had great high school careers. Um, but, you know, you, there's nothing quite like SEC D1 softball that compares to things that they've played in the past. And Beth Tarina talks a lot about that in, in postseason, in postgame things, excuse me, that, you know, she always knew that they had the best softball right in front of them. And she says that now they're really starting to see that. And so even though it was a late start to the season to kind of get a jump on things, I think it's great that they're doing things now where it's like, look at me, like I'm here, I can contribute, I can make an impact on this team even though I'm a freshman and I started a couple seasons, a couple semesters ago, you know, a couple of months ago. Yeah. I mean, they've won three out of five series in the SEC uh, with wins obviously against Georgia, South Carolina, and Alabama which that was a huge one to start the whole thing off. Uh, but Arkansas and Kentucky, those were two games that, you know, the two series, I guess, that they kind of got away from. And Arkansas currently leads the whole SEC. And if we look at the big picture, LSU currently is sitting with a 30-17 and 17 record, 10-8 and 8 in the SEC. And that has them slotted into six right now, just behind Georgia. Georgia has a better overall record, but they have the same SEC record. Uh, looking ahead, they have seven games left. They got a midweek game against McNeese, 
Uh, that's a makeup game from earlier <laughs> in, I guess, March when everything got rained out yeah. in those thunderstorms. Nasty Nasty. Uh, and then they have a series at home against Florida before they travel to Mississippi State to finish up the regular season. I mean, the big series against Florida, they, I mean, before this weekend, they were ranked top eight. Uh, they had a home series against Arkansas, lost all three games. So they're going to definitely be falling back in the rankings right now. But still, Florida's a dominant team. I, uh, right now in the SEC, they're seventh, so right behind LSU. So this is going to be a huge matchup for them this weekend. What do you see coming from Florida? Uh, you know, I think that for LSU in any situation, it has to really all come together. And that is most teams, but, you know, sometimes your your hitters are doing really well in the box. So even if things aren't quite going right on the field, it all still kind of works out, especially if you're playing a team that just, you know, their bats aren't on it that weekend or that game or whatever it may be. But, um, you know, I think that going into Florida, Florida is always known to have a decent program. You know, you see them every season going until June. Um, they're always strong. They always have a great roster of athletes. And so does LSU. You know, I think they just have to show up. I think that's really all LSU has to do through the majority of their series and their games. You know, they have to show up and they have to want it more than whoever they're playing. And I think they proved that to themselves really against Bama whenever they, you know, they showed up. They, <laughs> they were there. And that really was the situation where it was like the perfect storm of everything. You know, Alabama wasn't really on it. We saw some crazy things from Montana Fouts that I never in a million years would have thought I would have seen from Montana Fouts. Um, LSU bats were on, BAM bats weren't as much, you know. So I think that going into Florida, LSU really, it comes down to them wanting it more. You know, they have to realize that we're near, we're ending the season. We're coming to a close eventually, you know. It's coming up. And we've only won three out of five SEC series. That's not going to be great going into, you know, regionals coming up and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think they just need to show up and perform. Yeah. I mean, the team has put out a bid to host regionals, and if they get that, fantastic. It'd be great to have more games here, but it's really important to look at these next seven games, one game at a time, try to get those wins and try to get a better overall record and a better SEC record. So hopefully come SEC tournament in a couple weeks, you know, things fall into their favor. And this is where I think that it's great that these younger players on the roster are starting to, you know, given be given the time, the play time, the innings to show what they can do. Because that's the only way you gain experience. It's the only way that you can be there in tough times if coach puts them in, you know, randomly, like kind of like she did, like Tarina did with Chafin and, and Bama. I mean, Raylene was just kind of like, okay, you know, um, I guess I'll go. And that's really what these freshmen have been doing all season long when things happen. Um, so I think it's kind of starting to work to, the, to their favor. Even though it's late in the season, this is where it's, it's really going to be time to, you know, like show up or show out. And I think that the freshmen are capable of doing this for sure. Well, hopefully the Tigers can get it done. We can see some regional action here in Baton Rouge. And hopefully, McKay, I can get you back on the podcast. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And where can we find you at, Mac the Tiger? You can find me on Twitter at Mac the Tiger. And that's about it. Yeah, Instagram's right. private, guys. Sorry. Can't I don't like creepy that. people following me. <laughs> and always on the LSU Revly. And you can check her out. Of course. Also reviewing everybody's work in the fall. Can't wait. <laughs> All right. Thanks.
This past weekend, Brian Kelly got his first action at LSU, coaching his football team. Joining us now is Tyler Harden, sports writer for the Revelies, to talk more about the spring game. How are you doing, Tyler? Nick, how are we doing, man? It was, it was a fun weekend at the spring game. You know, a lot of people showed out. I mean, it was a, it was a good weekend. I was doing a lot of back-of-house stuff, so I didn't get to see much of what was going on on the field. But you were up in the press box. You kind of got to see the whole stadium and what was going on. So it kind of set the scene for everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, Brian Kelly coming in, you know, there was a lot of buzz. You know, first, uh, you know, walk down Victory Hill, everything. There was a lot of anticipation and, and all that. But, uh, you know, I feel like the spring game overall was just a testament of what he would tell the team every day at practice you know the little things are what is how this team is going to get better and I feel like we saw little bits and pieces of everything he said implied into the game even though it wasn't a traditional game given but uh you know I just like the direction that this team is headed they're really dis I, I saw a lot of discipline which is big and you know that's how you win games in the end of the day so I really like the direction that Brian Kelly's taking this team in yeah and you talk about the I guess strange nature of the game it was an offense defense scoring perspective uh for its offensive scoring was you know typical score a touchdown and get six points kick a field goal get three points uh but the defense a little bit different sacks interceptions like what was going on with that yeah i'm gonna be honest it was really hard to follow just because like of course we're all the way up in the press box and yeah you have uh like a view of the whole field which is great but like because the defender couldn't like let's say he couldn't tackle the quarterback you couldn't really always see that that touch of the sack you you sometimes miss it so it was definitely it definitely took an adjustment you know watching the defense especially but you know still good performances of course Mason Smith we'll get into that I'm sure but you know just a overall good showing by you know pretty much everybody I think the hottest thing people are looking at right now is the QB room obviously the main star last year transferred to A&M Boo. Uh, <laughs> currently, we got four QBs on the roster all vying for that number one spot. Uh, I guess you could call him the incumbent, Miles Brennan, six-year senior, after taking you know redshirt COVID year and also medical year. He's kind of like your number one guy, I guess, of this race. Uh, you also have the transfer Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. You have sophomore Garrett Nussmeyer, and then you have Walker Howard rounding out the whole rotation. So what did you see from these four quarterbacks? Man. If you had asked me today, like who the starter would be, I could not give you a clear answer. It, like they all looked good in their own ways. I mean, you know, Miles Brennan came in, like you said, he's a lot of people consider him the favorite just because of his experience with the program and everything. I mean, his adversity, his story is is a great one. You know how he's coming back and you know he's taking on that challenge and everything, trying to win over a new coaching staff, but. And he looked good in the spring game. It, it was excited to see him back in the purple and gold uh, doing his thing. I mean, there's a lot of hype around Jaden Daniels, of course. He did his thing at Arizona State. And, you know, right when he came in, everybody was like, you know, he's, he's going to be our guy. He's going to be our guy. And there were, there were times where he looked good, but there were times where he did look ordinary. I'm not going to lie. But the big, the big surprise, I wouldn't say it's a surprise, but it, was definitely, it definitely made things interesting, was uh, Garrett Nussmeyer. He came in, he's a playmaker, and he came in and he made plays. And that's all you can ask for out of a quarterback. And, you know, he connected with his receivers. He was a leader on the sideline. You love to see that out of a quarterback, of course. So it, it definitely made the, the competition a lot more interesting mm -hmm. now that Nussmeyer kind of weaved his way into that. Because a lot of people, 
considered it a two-man race you know Nussmeyer got his flashes here and there but now that Daniels is in they they kind of thought he, he might have taken Nuss's spot but now Nuss is back in and we're going to see what happens this summer and it's going to be exciting to watch I mean we're still four months out before they make the trip down to NOLA to face Florida State so there's going to be a lot of competition over the summer and it's going to be a really interesting thing to look at just and a bunch of competitors you know competing I'm sure to see it and I'm sure Kelly's going to keep that card close to his vest and yeah, you know, come game day, we're actually gonna finally see who's that starter. Yeah, that post game press conference, he's like, man, I'm, I'm tired of you guys asking me about <laughs> about this quarterback situation. Like, it's not gonna be solved today or anything. But you know, everybody's eager to know, and I don't blame him. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, Brian Kelly coming in new program. We talked about one of the transfers and the running back group. You saw another transfer out, and you also saw Ty Davis Price going to the draft. Uh, we're still a couple ways away from that, so. We don't know his current draft position or what it can be, but wish him well in the draft process. Of course. What did you see from the three guys out in the running back room? Yeah, so obviously the big name coming into the spring game was John Emery. There was a lot, you know, he, he was kind of battling some injuries during spring practice, but they announced that he was going to play in the spring game, which I was honestly shocked about that, you know, they, they bothered, you know, just kind of I thought they might just play it safe and, and let him ride. I think I saw one quote saying, like, you know, we want to give him some – yeah, mid-season kind of reps with yeah. injury. Just to see no, I, I don't blame him at all. You know, he he didn't get a ton of time, but he got I think enough time. You know, 24 yards on the day. But the back that I was really impressed by, and I think is going to make an impact this year, is Armani Goodwin. You know, he had a, a few flashes where he went on some long some long runs. You know, he had a touchdown on the day, 71 yards. Uh, rising sophomore, so he he is still young, but he did get some time last year, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Trey Bradford, you know, led the led the running back room on, with 86 yards. So I think we're definitely going to be a team that rotates at least three guys. We're not going to be a team like last year where we had that guy that you know was was always back there. And you know we ha- we still have another transfer to come in this summer with Noah Kane out of Penn State. So we're definitely it's definitely going to be crowded. But we have a lot of contenders, and it's not just that we can't decide like oh who's our guy. We just have we just have a lot of talent, and that's of course not a bad thing. So it's, it's going to be interesting. A lot of people, you know, look to the quarterback room right away, and that's kind of like the, the interesting topic. But the running back room is just as interesting, and it's, it's going to be cool to see how it all plays out. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, you have more talent coming in with the transfer from Penn State. And it's, I mean, it's exciting. It's good to have, you know, a lot of backs there to have the bodies have the guys that are able to run and it's good that these guys are showing out right now yeah this team is just gonna overall is just gonna have a lot of depth I feel like every and you know as the year goes on and guys get more experience over over time it's I I just really like the direction this team is headed and with the receivers I mean Keishon Butte he didn't get to play much or any of that battling and leg injury lower leg injury but Jack Besh he was out there Malik Neighbors two names from last year fans should be really aware of and you know how they perform out yeah they're both just just really gifted athletes you know let's I mean Jack Besh you know his his energy his intensity every every play is a hundred percent 110 percent effort you know he he's always the guy like Brian Brian Kelly said it himself he's always the guy that when the lights are the brightest and you know the stage is set he's the he's going to be the guy to make the play for you and 
I feel like now that he has a season under his belt too, he's only going to do more of that. And same thing with Malik Neighbors, you know, another great athlete. He's a guy that's going to go up and get it. So really just a lot to like about the receivers. I mean, of course, the quarterbacks, a lot of talent there, but, you know, they're throwing to some talented guys too. Mm-hmm. And on the defensive side of the ball, you know, we lost Stingley to the draft as well. Wish him well in that process. Of course. Had some transfers out. Damone Clark is also going in the draft. So there's some more holes on the defensive side, I think we would say, as opposed to the offense. Uh, how are things kind of piecing together? Well, the transfer portal has been our best friend because, you know, Joe Fusha, uh, Greg Brooks, you know, two two great players out of Arkansas transferring in for the secondary. You know, they've, they've come in and made their own impact, and it's, it's exciting to see what they do in the purple and gold for this fall. But – you know that D line, they're they're going to be they're they're going to be the source of power. You know B.J. Ojolari, Mason Smith. You know Mason looked great in the spring game. So did B.J. You know there's just a lot to look forward to with that D line. They're they're going to kind of hold the fort down, and everything else I feel like is going to kind of follow. But you know there's a lot to like about that defense. And I guess the last thing I want to wrap up, place kicker. You know <laughs> always got to worry about a kicker. Cade York, another guy going in the draft, Mr. Velveeta himself. Uh, but we got Ezekiel Mata, who kind of showed up a little bit. You know, I think I saw him hitting a 48-yard field goal at one point during the game. Did he show anything else off? Lefty kicker, you know, definitely an interesting uh, standpoint there. But, you know, backing up Cade York is never, is never easy. You know, he was – at some point a lot of people would say he was the most trusted guy on the roster. But, you know, a lot to like about, about Mata, you know, just a talented kicker yeah. and lot, lots of like out of him. So. Anything else you want to say on the football field? No, just I keep saying it, man. There's a lot to look forward to. You know, a lot of people have a lot of questions about how Kel- how uh, Coach Kelly's going to do right away. And uh, it's going to take time. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, everything kind of takes time in college football when you have a new coaching staff. But there's just a lot to look forward to. And I'm excited for that first game in New Orleans yeah. against Florida State. I mean, it was cool after the game. They had a big, you know, family outing out on the PMAC as everybody was eating crawfish out there. So it was good to see the players and the families all get together and doing that out there. But yeah, you know, definitely uh, for that, just a big, also a big weekend for recruiting. I saw there was over 200 recruits in attendance, which is unbelievable. So getting, you know, something like a crawfish boil going outside, you know, just another draw for those guys to come in and say, hey, you know, this culture's this culture is something cool yeah you want to be a part of this program what we're building and hopefully what we can do in the future but yeah we're gonna shut the book on that and i want to talk about some more you know important things going on at lsu uh tyler you know you covered a lot of women's basketball last time i had you on the podcast we were talking about uh lsu and their opportunities in the march madness tournaments uh they of course hosted some games here in baton rouge uh they won their first round game and got to the second round unfortunately lost ohio state tough fought game and players really showed out for him and I mean based on this whole season you know Kim Mulkey coming into a program that had been underperforming she wins AP coach of the year deservingly so uh and you had some top players actually go to the draft Kayla Pointer is the first one I want to point out uh she was drafted in the second round number 13th overall to the Las Vegas Aces and then Faustina Fuwa was drafted 35th overall just one of the second to last picks in the draft there are 12 teams in the WNBA uh, but both those players were drafted by the wa- or the excuse me, the Las Vegas Aces, and if you know some of the m- bigger ties going on there, 
Nicky Fargus, last year's head coach, is actually the president of operations out there in Vegas. So she's also KP's aunt as well. So there are some family ties. But you know, what can we see from KP going to that team? Yeah, it you know it's a it's a really guard heavy team. So you know, KP she's always she's always one for a challenge. You know, she's always one that is going to put the team on her back. And I feel like we're not going to see anything different here. She's just going to go and get hers and you know, compete as she always has, and we're going to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, one of the points you just said, guard-heavy team, uh, eight of the current 14 players on the roster are guards, and I'm pretty sure WNBA rules, they have to trim it down to 12, so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Um, in the same breath of that conversation, Faustina Fua, even though she was drafted by the Aces, she unfortunately has been waived, but still awesome opportunity for her to actually be drafted and get her name on that board. Yeah, of course. I mean, I feel like just having that opportunity to get drafted and, of course, things didn't work out, but I, I feel like she's just a player that's going to have a lot, a lot more you know, doors open for her, whether it's overseas or whatnot. I, I feel like she's definitely going to have a place to play yeah. in the near future. I mean, the Aces are a pretty cool team in general. Of I course. mean, Becky Hammond, she was an assistant coach for – uh, the Spurs past couple seasons and now she gets a head coaching opportunity out in Vegas so it'll be a, definitely a cool team to watch and follow and having KP there if she can make that roster it'll be great to see oh of course same thing with women's basketball something that was announced uh former player Simone Augusta she's getting her own statue it's gonna be the first female student athlete or I guess first female athlete to get a statue on campus so what are we hearing around that conversation? Yeah, so I mean, of course, uh, Simone is is before my time, and just reading up on her a little bit, the the stats she, I, I didn't realize the the impact she has at this school. It's it's unbelievable. She sent LSU to three consecutive Final Four appearances, which thinking about that is just is just crazy because we don't even really see that all that much in, in men's. No. You know, we we don't see Duke going to the Final Four like that. I mean, we see it a lot, but not like back to back to that back. That consistent. You know, so just, just thinking about that alone is crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, National Player of the Year, SEC Player of the Year, twice. So she, she, she was a legacy here. I don't know how we went this long not really recognizing that. I mean, I just admitted it myself. I didn't even know. And, and I was on the beat this year. I didn't even know any of that. So just really well-deserved you know, statue that the accolades she has that so well deserved and just happy to see. Yeah. I mean, you see her number hanging in from the rafters. So she has had an impact on the program doing fantastic in the WNBA Olympics, all that kind of stuff. But like you said, it's great to see a woman athlete getting recognized and getting that statue on campus. Yeah. And I just feel like, you know, Kim Mulkey coming into this program, I feel like just really got the wheels going because if if women's basketball didn't get the attention they got this year, I can't say that Simone Augustus would be getting that statue. I I just feel like the the attention wouldn't be there for people to recognize that, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's sad because she she's obviously someone that rightfully deserves it. But you know, having Kim here, I feel like is is just so big because it'll make make a players want to come here and be like, hey, that could be me. I could be I could be next because this school now is recognizing women's basketball. So you're having players show up in the draft and you know statues out in the field, but also you know Kim Mulkey, like you said, just the attention on the program. Last I believe four or five seasons, it was 105,000 total attendance. Again, over four or five seasons, and just this past season, first year with Kim, 100,000 fans. Yeah, 
just just crazy to think about how in one year they they covered all that ground yeah and it was something as simple as a coaching change she, like it was she just she means so much to this program i feel like people don't really understand like the road this program is going to be going down now yeah. you know get used to march madness being here and all that stuff I mean, so it's, it's going to be great top pro, or uh, i guess top prospect flauge yeah she's coming yeah. to the team as well so there's some more talent coming out to the team and more opportunities for them to show out. Yeah. And it's going to be exciting moving forward. Future's looking bright. If she can do what she can replicate what she did at Baylor here at LSU. Yeah. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a very fun time. <laughs> All right. Well, Tyler, I want to say thank you for coming on. Of course. Great having you. Anytime. Where can we find you at? Uh, at TTJHarden8 on Twitter and Instagram. You know, give me a follow. Uh, I'm trying to get more Twitter active. It's been a, it's been a grind, but we're getting there. So it's, it's going to be fun. Thanks for coming on. All right, thank you. If you're interested in following the LSU Rebel League, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LSU Rebel League. For KLSU Radio, you can find them on Instagram at KLSU FM and live on 91.1 FM.